and as we were doing the donations, I was thinking about him. They, I'm a, I'm a business person, and so I've been waiting for this day, and it's finally come where Simeon has set up his own company. And uh, so I couldn't be prouder or happier. And uh, we even had a business meeting at Tim Hortons together, and I was walking him through how to have a business meeting. And uh, so it's great. He's got like, he's got these little colored tiles, and, when, and his store is his room, and when he's got these different colored tiles, that's when he's open or closed, or when everything's free for a very short period of time, or, you know, when you can come in and have, and then he's got now triangles, when things are like, when we're, now when he's having a business meeting, and different colored triangles for who's in the business meeting, anyway, it's just like, he's got a, invoices, and a logo, and and uh, he's selling cleaning, because that's what he can sell, and so his main customer is Natasha, and uh, so they're constantly negotiating about, you know, the price of things, and sometimes Simeon is like, uh, we have this little electronic vacuum cleaner, and he's like, for, for vacuuming the carpet, I'm going to charge you like $50 or something like this, and it's like, but then for cle like organizing the closet, I'm going to charge five cents, and it's like, Simeon, I think you're just a little off on the difficulty around some, anyway, so he's working on it, and he's figuring it out. And what's been really interesting and cool is that we got him, um, we were talking to him, uh, to both of them, because now they both have businesses, uh, and, uh, and Anna has hers, and, and he's finagled her into being his employee when he's working, so anyway. Uh, so anyway, uh, it's, it's kind of a mess, but we're working on it. So they got this money now, right, and so we're talking about tithe, and so we calculated the money, and, now that, and they decided to give one-third jar, and we were calculating, and, um, and we were like, from the bank, which is our drawer. We were like dash, uh, dishing out the different coins, which is very exciting for them. And they had the jar for their tithe and the jar from, for their personal money. And Simeon, she's like, she was so excited. She's like, I gotta remember the jar. And she's like, we're gonna give it to God. It's God's money. And it was just so beautiful to see that joy, you know, like in the excitement in giving to God. And, and then we got to church this morning and Anna came up with this dance in order to like offer it, which includes, I'm not gonna do it for you, I'm sorry. But it's, it's like, uh, she spins and kneels and offers up her money to God with her hands raised, and it's just so beautiful, right? Isn't it just innocence? Give us that beautiful innocence as we offer ourselves up to you. And help us to come with joy and excitement to give our money, to give our time, to give our strength to you in the name of Jesus, amen. So we're continuing uh, the series today on God's direction, and, um, and I'm excited about that. Specifically, we're going to talk about uh, times when God calls us, when Jesus calls us to do different. We're going to talk about that, and I remember one, it's hard when you get like a word that's challenging, right? And I, I find most of the words that I get are that are challenging actually come from personal experiences. They don't come from other people because we're very careful around other people generally, so I don't get a lot of negative words which maybe is good and kind of sad in its own way too, because I would love for us just to be able to be free to really speak the Lord's word. And I do believe that that sometimes comes as, you know, warnings or different things like that. And I pray that as our church and as the church becomes more mature, that we'll be able to walk in that with integrity and accuracy and all those kinds of things. However, as it stands, most of the time when I receive that, it's kind of in another way. It's in a personal way, usually through dreams. And um, so I'm very thankful for dreams because I feel like that's when I can also hear 
it's filtered in another way, but it's also, it can have these challenging messages in it. So I love my dreams for that message, for that reason. And one time, I don't actually remember how it came, so I'm not sure if it was a dream. I think it have been chastised on my memory ever since I've been uh, teaching. Every, that's not how it happens. So anyway, forgive me uh, in advance, because my memory is kind of foggy and more emotional than accurate. But um, the, the dream was that I, or at least my memory of the dream was that, um, or the and I was actually in the box as a cat. I think it was actually my cat, my childhood cat. I was, people here know Kitty. Anyway, so uh, Kitty's very important to me, my, and, and lots of stories about Kitty. But anyway, I came back from uh, Lebanon. I believe it was as a cat, maybe a dog, but I think it was a cat. And, and sometimes when you receive a word like that, um, somehow, you kind of just like, okay, you know, we'll just put that in the box of like, we'll see, and like, I'm not gonna think about that anymore. Or maybe we put that in the box of that's something to pray against and like something to declare war on and stuff like that. But I have a tendency to actually get a little fascinated with words like that. When I receive a word like that, um, and I, 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 I mean, I don't always take those words and I think it's very important that we don't just automatically take things. But there was something about it that just intrigued me and fascinated me. And so it was one of those words that, and we get these, right? Where it's like, I don't feel it right now. Pray about it and think about this. And I have to say, there's also a tiny bit of excitement. I don't, I don't think I'm a masochist. I don't enjoy pain. I'm going to be talking about it today. I don't enjoy pain. But there is a fascination with suffering for me. Um, I think that there is a, a piece of me that wants to suffer for God. Um, and so... I, I was fascinated with it, and, I, and I'm going to come back to it after, but I want you to think about, as, you're, as I'm talking today, I want you to think about the times that you've experienced suffering, but also the times when maybe God has actually called you to suffering, um, which isn't something that we always talk about. And I like to talk about things that we don't talk about. So this is what I'm going to be talking about today. Matthew 16. We're going to be speaking, I'm going to be speaking about Matthew 16. So if you have your Bibles or phone, or something uh, that you can read the scripture on. Turn to Matthew. So I'm just going to read it, and there's a lot here, and I'm going to be unpacking it kind of step by step. This is such an interesting story. So Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say, one second, my screen is all dark. There we go. Who do people say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets? And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, the spokesperson, the one who gets all the blame, he said to them, you are the, he said to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar, father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's rebuking Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. 
But then Jesus, he, then he, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Ooh, can you imagine Jesus calling you Satan? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man? Shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Okay. So that's the passage that we're going through today. I'm going to pray again. Father, thank you for this beautiful picture of you revealing yourself to your people. And I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself today. There's so much in this passage, and uh, we're only going to be touching on it, but Lord, give us revelation into your truth and your beauty. Amen. Okay, so the background of this passage, I want you just to kind of understand a little bit of the background. Up until this point, there's been this question that's been lingering around Jesus, around who he is, and it comes up multiple times. Um, and I'll read some from Matthew earlier in Matthew than this passage, and it says uh, in eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 20, the disciples ask. And then um, John the Baptist, I think John the Baptist actually knew who Jesus was, and this was more for the benefit of the disciples, but John the Baptist sent the disciples to Jesus and said, ask him, ask him who he is. And the disciples, uh, John the Baptist's disciples asked Jesus, are you the one who was to come? So another question, who are you? And after he heals a demon-possessed blind and mute man, in chapter 12, verse 23, it says, could this be the son of David? So there's this growing kind of question around like, Jesus is doing all of this stuff. And then there's this kind of question in the land. And Jesus addresses us, like, who do they say I am? Who do they say I am? And, and there's this question of, like, who is Jesus? And this is the moment, this is the climax when Jesus reveals it. New reality. It's a major transition from a pre-church world into a church world. From, like, you could maybe say old wineskins into new wineskins. It's like, there is a new thing that is happening, and it has been revealed to you from the Father. This is like a huge revelation. You are understanding who Jesus is, and what does that mean? That means that now we get to start the church. This glorious, I realize it might not look glorious right now, but like this glory moment. But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus declares his identity. He is the Christ. Now, this series is on direction, and you might be asking this question of, like, we're talking about direction. Why are we talking about Jesus declaring his identity? Not the same thing, but they're very close to the same thing. They're very linked. So if you ask God, where am I supposed to go? Am I supposed to get married? And who am I supposed to marry? And he starts to say to you, I am the Christ. You might be like, but God, where am I supposed to go on mission? 
what am I supposed to do tomorrow? Am I supposed to buy the blue car? Am I supposed to buy the red car? And he might be like, I am love. And you may be like, God, you're not answering my question. God, you're not answering my question. But let me tell you that when you know and declare who God is, there's this response where he declares who you are, right? Peter says, you are the Christ, and right away Jesus turns around and says, you are the rock. Once you understand who I am, the revelation starts to come faster. It's like, you get this revelation from the Father, oh, you're the Christ, and you say, you are Peter, if you are the rock, you start to know what to do next. If you're the, if you're the rock of the church, and you know who you are, then all of a sudden you start to know what to do. Well, I'm the rock of the church. So now I know what to do. I'm supposed to be the rock of the church. And there's a whole, you can get more direction out of one word about your identity as opposed to small directions about where to park all day long. Like you can figure out the big direction in your life if you have your identity. And if you know who God is, then you can figure out where he's going, and then you can figure out where you're going because you understand who he is. If you don't understand who God is, it's going to be very hard for you to understand what he thinks about you and where you're supposed to go. So identity and direction aren't the same. I'm not confusing the two, but they are very close. And if you don't know who you are, it's going to be very hard for you to know what to do. The question you need to ask God is, who are you? Tell me who you are and then declare that back to him, and have him declare your identity. Now, one of the confusing things is, when in this passage, there's this thing of, says, and on this rock, you are the rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and there's this like, okay, what's going on here? Who's the rock? What's the rock? And people have like gone lots of places with the rock, okay? I'm going to go a little bit into this just to clarify the rock. So sometimes to clarify, you do need to go to the Greek, so I'm going to go to the Greek. And I tell you that you are Peter, which is Petros. I tell you that you are um, version of the word rock. And he's referring to Peter. You are the rock. Singular, male, that's Peter. He's single. I don't know if he's single, actually. He's male. It's him. It's alone. Just you. Singular. And on this rock, Petra. So you are the rock, Petros. And on this rock, Petra. Why does he switch to the feminine? Petra. He switches to the feminine. So you are the male singular rock, and on this rock, Petra, I'm going to build my church. What's Petra? Petra would refer to rocks. So you are the rock, and on this quarry, I am going to build my church. He's not just building his church on Peter. Peter is not the only rock that he's building. He's saying here something that's said throughout the scriptures, which is, you are all the living stones of the church. You are now a rock, but you're not the only one. There is a quarry here. Am I okay? Oh. Yes, we will save power by... Okay, thank you. Had some issues with the projection slide today, but the Lord made a way. Okay, so there is a quarry here. So I'm going to read a few scriptures just to give you some reference for this. First Peter 2, verse 5 you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. So he's saying here, there is a new reality. There's a spiritual house being built, and it's being built on you, Peter, and the quarry. It's being built on, on this, a holy priesthood, which is the next line there. Ephesians 2, verse 19, it says, 
You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the house of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being a cornerstone. It doesn't say it in that original scripture, but Christ is a rock himself. He's the cornerstone. So Jesus is a rock. We're all rocks in this spiritual house that's being built from this moment. This is a huge revelation, a turning point in history, a new wineskin. It is a reality that will resonate and will actually manifest itself in the new city as a real city, I believe, in the new Jerusalem where the rocks will actually be named the apostles. There's like a physical reality in the future. There's a spiritual house. There's a spiritual reality now. It's this huge thing in heaven. It's a really big deal. And Jesus is revealing it to the disciples in this moment. It's glorious. They probably don't even understand how close, how, I mean, it's like, ooh, I got a new name. But like, how big this is, how big and beyond each person this really is. It's like directional in the whole Bible and of God's plan. So you get to be a living. You can almost hear like the passage from glory to glory. Like this is the passage that we love in the prophetic church. Glory to glory. You know, it's like, oh, it's like we're going to be living stones. Peter's amazing, but I'm in there too somewhere. You know, and it's like we get to be a house, a spiritual house. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. You know, it's like, amen, it's glory. You know, it's like that's what we like. We like glory. We like the, the amazing. We like the shiny. And you can see it even just in the next scripture. Like that was Matthew 16. Matthew 17, Jesus says, like, you're about to see me. And in the next chapter is the transfiguration. They go up on a hill and Jesus reveals himself as actually this glory. He actually reveals his glory. And you know what Peter says right away? I love Peter. Thank you, Peter, for being there. Peter says right away, he says, he sees the glorious Jesus, right? He sees Moses. He sees Elijah. And the first thing, he says, Jesus, I want to stay here. I want to stay here. Let's build a tent. Isn't that what like, you cry out? It's like, glory to glory. It's like, Cyrus, you're starting a church. Okay, what kind of church? Glory to glory church? It's like a glorious church? Because that's what I'm in for. It's like, I want to build a tent on the mountain. It's like, that's, that's what I'm signing up for. Matthew 17, then right in the next chapter, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We can stay a while. We can stay a while. It didn't last that long. It was a glorious moment. This is where the church wants to stay, the prophetic healing renewal church. Now I want to talk about the lie that's straight from Satan. Straight from the mouth of Satan. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and from the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus begins to declare pain and suffering and he declares it prophetically. And he describes the mountaintop and it's amazing. And then he immediately begins to describe the valley beforehand. Jesus is going to die. And when the, when the disciples heard of his identity, they're like, you're the Christ. They made some assumptions. 
They immediately were like, Christ, that means all of these things. That means that you will never die. That means that you are going to be king. You, that means that you're going to be They didn't correct their assumptions. They corrected Jesus. And they went up to him and they were like, Jesus, you don't understand what it means to be the Christ. Oh my goodness, right? Jesus, you don't get it. Don't talk like this. You said you were the Christ. You got that part right. Very good revelation. But the rest, you're wrong. And Peter took him aside, took Jesus aside, and began to rebuke Jesus. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. There's a lie from Satan that we can get the promises of God without any suffering. It's a lie. It's such a dangerous lie. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is John 16. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In every purpose there is pain. In every glory there is a price. Every salvation comes through the blood of Christ. We say that and we don't really sometimes recognize what it really means. Oh, you came through the of Christ? What is that? That's a glorious reality. It's a mountaintop experience that will last forever, and it comes through blood. It comes through blood. Suffering. It's not a popular message. But if we don't embrace it, there's a deception, and there's an issue with longevity. If you believe that it's glory to glory with no suffering, really believe it, not just say it, but like if you really believe that there shouldn't be any suffering, how do you reconcile your life with what's going on? Like how do you make sense of it? And you may for a while because you're learning and you're growing, but eventually you come to this crisis in yourself where it's like I'm in this world and I'm going after these promises, but it's painful. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus talks about the seeds, and he plants these seeds, and they follow these different places, and some of them are scorched by the sun. The demons pick them up and eat them and trying to scorch you, and that there's troubles trying to choke you. You won't let your roots go down deep. And I'm not in this to have a good month. I'm not in this to have a good conference. I want to be steady for decades. Lord willing, I want Maplecrest to be in revival. But I don't want it to be a revival that lasts a week. I want to carry a fire that can go through the rain. I want to carry a fire that can survive the rigors and realities of what God has actually called Maplecrest to, and not something that's a figment of my imagination or a lie from the devil that it's not going to come with a price, and then it's not going to have a price as we go. It's a reality that God calls you to. It's a glorious reality, and he will talk to you about the price of caring. You start to have a reality in your brain where you start to think, oh, Jesus is so mean. He's like a bad guy. He, like, wants you to suffer. And he's like, oh, man. Like, what is this? I want to cast that off you right now in the name of Jesus. There is no cloud. There is no wrong in him. There is no evil. There is no mean in Jesus. 
God is love. We heard that earlier. God is love. And God wants good things for you. So we're just going to cast that cloud off. And we are going to talk about how a God who calls us to suffering sometimes. Wilma asked me, I was walking in, and she's like, I said, I'm going to talk about suffering. God's call to suffering. And Wilma, my mother, was like, are you suffering? And that's a nice mother question, right? Are you suffering, Cyrus? I'm always suffering. I can feel the pain. I can, if you can be sensitive. How many people right now feel pain in their body? If you examine your body, you feel pain right now. Raise your hand. Raise it nice and high. Yeah, it's about the population average, about 50%. Okay, now people, keep your hands up. Okay, now who here has some kind of emotional pain? Has some kind of emotional suffering in them? Who did yesterday? Who thinks that they will have emotional pain tomorrow? Who thinks that they will have some kind of emotional trigger in their life? Okay, you can put your hands down. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, how do we make sense of this? Are you suffering, Cyrus? Always. But I have a joy. I have a joy inside of me. Oh. Simeon was, um, let's talk about Simeon again. Oh, I love that boy. Seven years old, right? He comes running towards me, busy. I am on the computer, so that defaults me to not being busy. Anyway, um, so I am not busy, and uh, he's running towards me, and so Simeon, because he's in pain, automatically wants to go to Natasha, right? I get that. I'd want to go to Natasha too. When I'm in pain, I want to go to her. Anyway, so... But the poor kid, Natasha's like, you're closer to Cyrus. He's your father. Go, like, get comforted by him. He, like, looks at Natasha, like, looks at me, kind of cries a little bit, and, like, kind of begrudgingly stalks over to me. Anyway, so poor kid. He's got to deal with me as his comforter, right? My strong suit. Anyway, so I'm the comforter in that moment. So he comes, he sits on my lap, and I put my computer to the side. And... I examine his knee, because he hurt his knee. And I can see he's got like a mark on his knee. He's got like um, skin that's kind of red. Anyway, and then I proceed to check his knee. I'm like, okay, well, let's see. Are you injured? Maybe, maybe we need to go to the hospital. I don't know what happened. I mean, it's a couch, but who knows? So I bend his knee. I straighten his knee fully. I'm asking, are you in pain? The answer is consistently yes. So then I start asking, is it more pain if I do this? So then it's like, bend his knee. Straighten his knee, no, no, I kind of twist his leg to one side, twist his leg to the other side. He's always in pain, but it's consistent. So I'm like, okay, you have a flesh wound. You have a flesh wound. This is not a, a damaging hospital situation. This is a flesh wound. I don't think he'd heard the word flesh wound before. He's not a Monty Python fine fan. Anyway, so <laughs> he, uh, I said, this is a flesh wound. He's like, okay, what's a flesh wound? I don't think he actually asked that. But, uh, so he's like, flesh wound, okay. And I said, you know what? When you get a flesh wound, warriors who get a flesh wound have to fight through that. When you're a warrior and you get a flesh wound, that doesn't mean you get to go and sit down. The sword's still coming at you. You've got to get up and fight. And he was crying, right? And then he, all of a sudden, I see this smirk on the side of his face. He's like, oh. So he starts to smile. And I say to him, are you a warrior? And all of a sudden, he went into his warrior identity. And he got up, and I said, let's see you kick with that leg. 
And so he gave his best karate kick. Kicks with both legs. And he's like laughing now. And then I yelled to Natasha, who's like at the kitchen, but she could still see us. And I like yelled her, look, he's like, he's got a flesh wound and he's fighting through it. And he's like excited now. And then he runs off. I don't know what happened next. God wants you to have life. He wants you to have life. We separate our physical realities from our spiritual realities. We read stories about people who suffer, and we divorce ourselves from that suffering. We read stories about the heroes in the Bible, all of which went through terrible suffering, and then we expect our lives to not have any of it in them, even though we say they were wonderful. We say, wow, Moses. Wow, Elijah, you did it. You are a hero of the faith. Jesus, you are amazing. God, why are you making me suffer? God calls us to these realities, but when we actually live our life, we divorce ourselves from this spiritual reality. We think our lives are different than the lives that came before us. If you suffer for yourself, you will be overcome. You have no defense against suffering for yourself. The world isn't suffering. I mean, if I went to any audience, anywhere, and I asked who's in physical pain, 50 to 60% of people are going to raise their hand. This is not just in the church. Suffering is everywhere. Emotional suffering, yes. It's like, we're all suffering. This is everywhere. The difference isn't that we're suffering and that, or we're not suffering and that they are suffering. The difference is that we're not suffering for ourselves. That's the difference. It's sitting there and looking at your scraped knee and saying, oh, I'm in pain. Why? Versus saying, Lord, I am suffering for you. It's a completely different reality. Are you suffering and the world has got you? Or are you a warrior in the story of Christ in your life? Are you suffering for yourself with no purpose? Or are you suffering for the Lord who has come before you as a mighty warrior? If I tell somebody to go and dig a ditch, they can do that. But if I tell them to fill it in again, they will crack. There has to be a purpose. Both involve suffering. I don't know if any of you have ever dug a ditch. I haven't, but I can only imagine. But if you dig a ditch and it actually has a purpose, like this is going to help people drive places and get places, I can maybe do that. But if I have to dig a hole and just fill it up again, dig a hole and fill it up again, that is torture. There is no purpose. We can endure suffering if we have a purpose. You take that away from people and it overcomes them. It overcomes them very quickly. People can't take any pain if they don't have a purpose in it. But if you're digging that ditch and filling it back up again, and you're like, Lord, I am doing this for you as a testimony to your glory that you have called me to this prison camp, you have called me as a witness, and I am going to dig this ditch and I am going to fill it in again all day for you. And then you'll smile, you'll do your karate kick, and you'll carry on. Jesus says in verse 24, he continues the story, after he calls himself to suffering, as after he talks about his prophetic word that he is called to suffering, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, not just loses your life, this is not about losing your life, but whoever loses his life for my sake, for me, will find it. I'm not telling you how to lose your life. I'm telling you how to find life. This is about giving you life. And Jesus gives us the key. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world to start with? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. If you experience pain with no meaning, it is overwhelming, but whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will find life eternal. I started today's talk talking about being a cat in a box. I was a cat in a box. Furless, half dead, coming back from the Middle East. And that when I got that word that I was going to be a cat in a box, coming back from the Middle East, I took a breath. And I didn't say, Lord, what am I going to do? But we say, Lord, what are we doing? What are we doing together? Because he's been in that box. And for me, coming home from mission, when we were on missionaries, we came home early. It's a big story. I'm not going to tell it now. When we came home from mission, I was a cat in a Natasha was ill, so I got to fly in first class taking care of her. But I was actually in the coffin at the bottom of the plane. It was spiritually one of the times of the greatest deaths of my life. I was coming back to privilege, to opportunity, to less pain. But in my life, I was spiritually not worthy. I was, a, I was a cat in a box. Not dead, but close to it. And my life started to turn until I said, Lord, I tried to be poor. I tried to give it up for you. And for me, I probably had a poverty spirit where pop, I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to walk into privilege. I'm going to walk into the richest country in the world, basically, into a professional life with money, which is death to me. But I'm going to do it with you. It's this paradox, right? Like, it's not money or not money. It's suffering is measured by your own mind. I will suffer for you. Most people will be like, what are you talking about? You get to live in a nice house with a nice car. It's like, Lord, this is suffering for me. But it's, if it's what you called me to, I am going to do it for you. I am going to change my mission. I am going to let my idea, my idea of what I'm supposed to do for you, die. I pray that each of you would be able to do that when the time comes. That you would let your idea of what you're supposed to do die on that cross. And that you would pick up his cross and call it good. Call it life. When you're looking for God's direction, don't be discouraged when he talks about himself. 
let me tell you that as you understand the in-the-moment reality of his nature, the part of himself that he's showing you, your direction will be much clearer. And it's only moments after Peter declares his understanding of Jesus' identity that Jesus declares right back to him his own. And the next thing is that when you hear the glory, and this was the word I got when I was going on mission, it was resurrection. It was glorious. You will be resurrection, resurrected. But I was not blind to the idea that if I'm I will have to be. Kept, oh, every like, time anybody prophetic came near me, they started declaring Lazarus over me. For years. Lord, you are so good to warn. And if God is asking you to do something difficult, getting a revelation about a challenge that you will face, do, mo- do not automatically decide. Then when you go through suffering, you need to remember that It is something that gives life if we do it for Christ, if we do it for love. And you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because love casts out fear. The glorious thing about the cross is that you don't feel it the more you're in Christ. It's like, Cyrus, are you suffering? Oh, I'm suffering. Do you feel it? That's a different question. The purpose of suffering is to bring joy. It is probably the deepest way that we can express love is to endure suffering and to choose, to, to choose it for him. When we get to heaven, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. When we get to heaven, he's not going to keep the money we have in a jar, but he will keep the tears for eternity. For eternity. The money, it's like, well, we've got bricks here that are more valuable than that. They pave the streets. We walk on them. Tears, nobody will cry for me ever more. And you cried for me in that short season when people could cry. The angels are jealous of our ability to suffer for him. They're like, you get to suffer for the king. I can't do that. We will have did that for me. We're going to have that as a reward for eternity. When, does, when is tears a reward? In heaven. In heaven. Look at how powerful his blood became in heaven. Heals the nations. It's the deepest, one of the deepest ways that we can connect with our dad and show love. Let's stand. Oh. Yeah, come on up, worship team. Oh, daddy. Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, we love you. Thank you for your perfect plan for our lives. Peter, in that moment, saw the plan. And he hindered you. He spoke that a king doesn't have to suffer. Give us your revelation, Lord. Give us your plan. As we worship, I want each of you to be praying and connecting with God's voice of love over you, his voice of life over you.
He is so beautiful. And so many of you are already in pain. So many of you are coming here and being like, oh, the pain is worship. And today, that he would speak into your pain. Ooh. I feel like the Lord is saying thank you. Saying thank you. I think that's the primary word that he has over our pain. Lord, help us to be in pain for your sake. Help us to make the decision to turn and to be in pain for you, not for ourselves. And Lord, help us to hear you say thank you. When Stephen was being stoned for your name, you stood for him. The Bible says that you sit. You stood for Stephen and you stand for us. Can you imagine Jesus standing for you and saying, thank you. You are beautiful. You are glorious. You have walked into the darkness and you did it for me. Let our hearts turn to him and say, Lord, I don't think like I'm not doing this. Like the persecution I'm experiencing is not in the name of the devil. But Lord, I declare every ache in my body, I declare that this is part of my journey with you. And I am going to go through this body for you. I am going to do it as an act of love, pouring out myself for you. I am going to go through every relationship for you. I am going to decide to love for you, even when it hurts, because you're glorious. So as we worship, just hear him saying thank you. As we turn towards him, his word is thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing for me. I love you. You are beautiful.